Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Morning campers, or afternoon, or perhaps even evening for some of you. And hello and welcome to the A to Z of Festivals with Rob DeBank podcast. Uh, so it's a new weekly foray into the fun, uh, sometimes a bit crazy and mental, uh, definitely gobsmackingly exciting. It's the world of festivals. So compared to some, uh, step up Mr. Michael Evis at 90, uh, 83, sorry Michael, uh, I'm still a relative newbie, but with 15 years of promoting festivals under my multicoloured caftan, uh, I've been out there and met so many amazing promoters, uh, headliners, tiny bands who might never play a festival again and most importantly of course you lovely lot, the paying public who make it all happen and uh, turn up to the festivals in your droves over each summer. Uh, so one week it might be a megastar headliner talking about their best and worst experiences, falling off the stage, falling down a toilet, I don't know. Uh, often it'll be someone behind the scenes, a promoter, a uh, talent booker, spilling the beans on what it takes to run a festival and really getting the uh, backstage gossip on that. Uh, a rundown on who's playing what stages at your favourite festivals and I'll always try to get you some info, gossip and facts that you might not know about those festivals too. So uh, starting in the best of places for an A to Z of course, with the letter G, why not, it's Glastonbury. windows on my way to Castle Kerry Railway Station. Now, if you're a Glastonbury veteran, you know what that means. You know it is the closest railway station to Glastow. Um, and after 23-odd Glastonbury appearances, um, not appearances, well, visits as a festival-goer and some, some appearances as a DJ, uh, I'm just as excited uh, about getting to Glastonbury Farm. It's kind of like entering the gates of heaven for me going to Burden Farm and the Glastonbury site. Um, and I've never seen it kind of in its virgin, pure green form. Uh, it's been a bit snowy, so uh, it might be a bit of snow around, but, um, but yeah, and hopefully a lot um, going on down at the farm. I'm going to be sitting down with the main lady herself, Mrs. Emily Evis, who uh, drives a lot of the Glastonbury uh, ship nowadays with her husband Nick, and uh, hopefully my Bob is the main man himself, Mr. Michael Evis. So yeah, for the G A to Z of the festival to Rob DeBank. It's last break.
So it's the A to Z of festivals with me, Rob DeBank, and I've just been, uh, well, just had my quickest ever entry into Glastonbury and uh, now sat with Emily Evis, the, the lady herself. How are you doing, Emily? Good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Good to have you here, Rob. Well, lovely to be here. Have you ever been down out of season? I haven't, and it's amazing because there's snow on the hills. So, you know, I've seen Glastonbury in mud, sunshine, every sort of imaginable weather condition, but but not snow. Exactly, that's the one that we haven't had. So um, people listening, wherever they're listening, uh, are probably wondering why on earth we're talking about festivals on a a rainy day, a snowy day even in, in early Feb, but... You know, for us, us festival promoters, this is this is kind of peak time, isn't it? In a way, yeah, it's like the the busy season. It's like the um, the wasps at the end of summer. You know, when they kind of go a bit like crazy and dizzy and start like passing out in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I've not <haven't> seen that. <laughs> you know, like you know, when they start going a bit so like in September. That's like our time. It's like we've been in this kind of busy, busy period of like booking, and everything's just starting to kind of take you know concrete plans are taking shape and and there's just a few last things to put into place before we unveil the kind of plans for 2019 wow exciting and obviously you you had a fallow year uh, last year so probably even more exciting for you guys to you know two years you know you've got two years of uh thoughts and excitement inside you yeah and it's always quite a good time a year off for just for people to kind of go away and just come up with some new ideas for their areas and new th- new plans and there's always a sort of like just it's just a natural point for people just to stop and you know like when you're involved in an area of a festival it just takes over your life whether you're doing the whole festival or just an area or a stage or whatever and I think it, you need that space to just remove yourself so you can come back in with completely fresh eyes so that's what we're doing we're meeting everyone at the moment and they're all kind of going right this is what I want to do unveiling their kind of ambitious plans i mean that that is the thing that i you don't know about glastonbury until you've sort of either read the history or know you know what your dad and obviously everyone else created with glastonbury but it is Mm. a sort of a microcosm of lots of different um people isn't it and their Mm. sort of um personalities some of them stretching back 20 30 40 years and some of them sort of newer but you know, most of our festivals are, are one person kind of going, well, this is my vision, this is my creation. But with you guys, it's it's very much a... It's kind of co- a collective, isn't it? It is really, and there's, like, hundreds of creative people that we work with. Um, and that's what makes it lovely, is that it's kind of not really one vision, it's, like, hundreds of visions that all kind of get woven in together. Um, so it's really... It's really... Um, I th- Yeah, it's, like, one of the things that kind of keeps keeps me really hooked in you know and loving this is just the the kind of vast array of people that we work with you know that kind of come in and with all this enthusiasm um Who, yeah. who's your favorite person when you when you're thinking okay we're gonna we're about to meet the uh, meet the team Who, who's the person that you're thinking yes i can't wait to hear what they've been up to well which area yeah well they're all so different so i had a really good meeting last weekend with the greenfields for example and every year they, you know, they come in and we talk about what, you know, what their kind of green mission is for this year. And that's always just like lovely and kind of quite reassuring in a way because they've been here such a long time and they kind of, you know, they've been singing about those messages and shouting about them for years. And now those messages are kind of being spread out across the whole site and they're kind of more universal green messages. Um, and then, uh, you know, then we'll have like a day where we sit and spend 
you know, three hours talking about a new head that we're installing with like, that will, you know, uh, be a kind of new venue, which will be... A new head? Yeah. You know, like okay. a type of venue that we're, we're putting in. Right. Which okay. is like, is, is a kind of design, it's all happening at the moment, but we're kind of, it's looking like it might be a head coming out of the ground, which would be incredible. But, you know, we, we, we spend a long time all year kind of coming out with these and de- dealing with all these creatives and kind of all these masterminds. And it's brilliant. I love it. So we could spend, you know, an hour talking about an oak tree and then two hours talking about a giant head. And then, you know, <laughs> then like this morning we were talking about getting like, you know, 10,000 glitter balls. Anyway, so yeah, there's, there's kind of, this always interesting this is great you're giving away all all your secrets for 2019 already (laughs) (laughs) but then i mean the flip side of that must be that there must be a lot of um kind of uh more boring uh, meetings sadly Mm -hmm. you know where you're kind of dealing with and i'm not no 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 disrespect to the people who look after the toilets or fencing or the licensing officer and i just know from doing our our festivals that you know some of the meetings are are a lot of fun and creative and a, a lot of the meetings and probably the majority of them are a bit more pedestrian. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I quite, I mean, we've got a really great head of operations called Adrian, who's downstairs at the moment. And he, um, you know, I, I, I quite enjoy the detail. So like, I can get kind of, I can get quite stuck into um, fence lines and roads and crowd management, which we've been dealing with at the moment, which is, you know, it's a massive part of the job, which is like, working out how to manage that many people through some quite tricky pathways and through essentially like a farm in the middle of Somerset. (laughs) Uh, So like recreating a city the size of Oxford here in a valley. Is that that what it is, Oxford? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. you're in charge of Oxford. So in Oxford and kind of everything that comes with that, the infrastructure, the toilets, the hand hygiene, you know, just things like that, which kind of, which when something like that goes wrong, the issues that can come from that are enormous, you know, could almost like see the whole thing at, come to a standstill. Yeah. So everything is obviously, all of these things are all important. It's all part of what makes it. I mean, I mean yeah, fifth, you know, when me and Josie started best of all, then I think we naively thought, right, we've done the kind of blueprint for that. That went really well. We'll mm. never have to change it. You know, we'll come back in 10 months and we'll just start again. But like we talked about at the beginning, it's just this 12-month roller coaster where you yeah. literally never get a chance to take your foot off the gas and if you're if you're not you, you have to look at every single area every year, don't you? And is yeah. that is that the same for Glastonbury that everything is just Totally. I mean, yeah, you you do and and just yeah, just it's like there's just a constant flow of like crises and um and you get the highs and the lows with each day (laughs) some days it's like oh god how can we possibly you know deal with this situation that we're kind of like down at you know a bit of a dead end and then suddenly like you know the next day it could just be the most exciting kind of job in the world and you think actually you know we can solve this this is fine yeah but you know it's um it's great fun I i just feel really lucky to be honest to be able to do it and and I think prob- probably knowing a lot of other promoters in the festival business, we're all sort of probably a little bit jealous of you because, you know, Glastonbury is the jewel in the crown of, you know, all festivals. It's the, you know, the founding kind of father, mother of of festivals. And, you know, people like Coachella and whatever, amazing festivals, you know, they pop up and make a big noise, but... 
the bottom line is, you know, that this is this is kind of where where it all started. And um, so you you sort of got a bit of a leg up, but you still feel that sort of anxiety about releasing your lineup and whether the toilets are in the right place. And that's that's nice to see. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think maybe. I mean, I think we never take it for granted. And like that's really nice to hear that. But I think when you're in your own bubble, which I'm sure you'll relate to, is like, you know, you and your Messi, sometimes the kind of, you know, the shouting from the internet or whatever can get kind of overwhelmingly loud and you have to switch that off in order to focus on running the show. Yeah. Well, I'm um, glad that you still do get that because... Uh you're not untouchable. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the, it's the old headliner debate, isn't it? It's like one person's Jay-Z is another person's Oasis, one person's mm. Kylie is another person's Dolly Parton. You, yeah, you just yeah. can't... It's, it's impossible and probably... You can't please people. No. And so do you, do you find that in the 21st century where probably when, you, when your dad in the 70s, he might have got some letters saying, oh, I didn't really like Robert Plant or mm. David Bowie, but, mm. but now it's like you release it and, I mean, we loved what you did with... You know, Stormzy in the Oxfam shops where you had the poster yeah. announcing the headliner. And, you know, obviously, like with Jay-Z, then probably, like with Jay-Z, then Stormzy's probably divided people as well a little bit. I think so. I think everything does. I think I think we would never not get that division, even if we... I'm trying to think now of someone we could roll out who would be an absolute <laughs> guaranteed non-divisive act, and I can't think of them. The Beatles, the Stones got sacked off. So it's like too it's, old. Well, everyone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, every act that you can think of in the last. I think Prince was the last one, possibly, who obviously can't play now, but who could have um, maybe united them. united people, or you'd still have had some some naysayers. Anyway, we're not here to complain about the paying public because they obviously um, come to our festivals and yeah. they're the reason we're putting it and on. And I but... actually think, and I have to say, just while we're on the subject, that I think that the majority of people that actually come don't complain. Like, we found out that one of the petitions that was launched against Kanye was a guy in America who just hates Kanye. <laughs> He's got, doesn't have a clue about us. And it's like, that was, you know, so it's, I, yeah, I think often they're not our, our audience is the best. We think that our audience is the best audience in the world. Yeah, Because, like, the bands just, everyone says that, you know, they're just incredible when they come here. They're really a generous crowd. People are nice to each other. It's a really good atmosphere. So... Have you announced your uh, full lineup now? Uh, no. no, we haven't yet. No, we are. It's a work in progress. We're not ready. It's a bit early, isn't it? So it's it's February, and obviously you guys are quite early in the festival calendar. So yeah. I mean, yeah, the beauty of festival was it was in, it was in September, so we had a bit more time. But you, you, I mean, the pressure must be on. Where are you at in a sort of a stress level of one to ten right now? Just waking about three times a night. Right. Don't know, probably... No, it's not that. It's not... We, we're much better now, aren't we, Nick? We, um... Before Christmas, it was all... It's quite dramatic. But, you know, it, like, you go through phases, and now is a good phase, because we're pretty much there with our lineup. Um, except, like, pretty much we're 99% of the way. So, so I think, like, that's just the, the end... Going back to the wasp analogy, like, we're... You know, we're like, we're all full, everything's falling into place now. So we're like, we've, we've had the busy, the season, the booking season is kind of almost drawing to a close and we can now go into the actual production of the event, which is like, you know, we're going to start building here. We're going to start, the infrastructure side is going to really kick in soon. Yeah. So when I arrived earlier, you and Nick were just jumping in a, 
in a vehicle to go and sight something on site. So it must mm. be amazing that you you live where you where you do your festival because a lot of us do festivals a long way from where we live or, yeah. or, or you know or only see it when we actually get down to the site for the for the build of the festival but it's so nice to see that that you can kind of just oh let's go and put something up at the stone circle and site something so you actually yeah. are you building structures right now we are we're just starting to build um a giant beehive which is just on your left as a picture of it. Um, it's um, going into the Greenpeace field. We, you know, we've always done environmental campaigning. We've always kind of had a kind of close relationship with, you know, some charities. But um, but one of the things that we try to do is, is like when people, you know, come here from cities is to sort of like, because it is a rural, it's a really rural setting. And so, you know, to come here and kind of, you know, be able to enter a giant beehive and to learn about the importance of bees within our ecosystem is a really, you know, amazing thing to be able to do. And so, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about the messaging and how we can kind of, you know, open people's eyes and teach them about things and, you know, whatever, or like they can come and explore new avenues of thinking. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. So on the infrastructure side, the, net, the the kind of the main thing will on May the first, the fence starts going up, mm-hmm. um, and then from there on in, John's here today. He's doing the kind of site trafficking. And does the um, fence always go in exactly the same place? Pretty much. Give. I mean, it's yeah, a little bit, a little bit in and out at kind of different points. But like we're just, it's going up up the hill slightly more on one side and then down on the other side but essentially it's it's the same you won't notice it it's yeah more for us to kind of include some extra crew camping and stuff um so how, how long does we're that short take of space for camping space essentially are you yeah because you know like not for the public but for the crew we have right. an enormous amount of crew yeah so so one of our big challenges is really kind of housing enormous amounts of crew 
And because we're fighting to keep as much space as we can for the public. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite unusual to have a site where camping and entertainment areas are all mixed up. I don't think there are many festivals that have that. Um, on this scale, anyway. So No, it's, everything is... I mean, you could go and pitch your tent in the middle of the pyramid stage field, couldn't you, if you wanted to? You could do, although you might be asked to just move. <laughs> but there, there's no actual fence line no, or there's, right. there's no stewards to exactly. stop you. And I mean, the, yeah, the first 10 times I came to Glastonbury, we always pitched up in front of the pyramid thinking that was the best place. And then you find yeah. the sort of secret hidden places where it's actually much more chilled out. But um, Yeah, camping under the pylon, I used to do that. It was like, I always went there when I was like about 15 with my mates. <laughs> Why did you gravitate towards a, a noisy electric kind the of source? The pylon. I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? That is weird, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was looking at some um, some scary facts on and Wikipedia of all places, but obviously I, um, yeah, these might be wrong. But, I mean, things like you saying about the massive level of staffing and then it says the sound systems on site have a total power of 650,000 watts, main stage having 250 speakers. Does that sound right? Mm. Probably, yeah. Uh, 4,000 toilets, 2,000 long that. drop. I thought it was 5,000. Okay. But it's in the, in the right area. So that's an, an enormous amount of 1,300 compost toilets and two reservoirs holding 2 million litres of water. So this, yeah. Does this all sound like... Um, yeah, we've got a huge... It was just up there, the reservoir. Okay. Um, and that's... So we're especially... Well, so this year that like, we're doing a water project, we're trying to ban... Or kind of just ask people to refrain from using single-use plastic bottles, which is quite a kind of large omission. Um, but the the, the, the reservoir, <clears throat> really, you know, is really efficient in running. And, and so we're, we're trying to encourage people to use tap water. Yeah. But we also have water in cans that we're going to be selling. Yeah. So, um, you've, I mean, you've done that for years. That's the thing about Glastonbury when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, you've lent your voice to a few campaigns. I mean, that is understating the huge stuff that your dad and you guys obviously carrying on with, you know, CND, Greenpeace, um, and, the, you know, the water thing. I know a lot of us as other festival promoters and other people are, you know, just getting into it. Some people have been doing it for a decade. You guys have been on it for years and you've always sort of had the standpoints, the water standpoints and encouraged mm. that, haven't you? Yeah, it's a large thing, like tackling these kind of, you know, these messages on this scale. But no, we, we yeah, we 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 really really like the environmental messaging side is at the heart of what we do. Yeah. So and so like every day, even this morning, actually, I had kind of, you know, a really big kind of session with some people about how we can activate the public more. You know, to really try and get them to take this on to 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 pick up litter around them to you know to maybe have more pre erected tents to have just to kind of really try and tackle this head on because we just if we can't do it here then we've got no chance yeah i mean you're you're the leaders you need to be uh, <laughs> leading from the front don't you on it so i mean it, the tent um, thing because at our festivals you know a lot of people used to say oh well, it's alright I'll leave my tent because you're going to send it to um, you know a refugee camp or you're going to use it for this or which is sort of a, a nice way of looking at it and that does occasionally happen but what, what's your message with things like um, tents and uh, camping equipment and your the, recycling and yeah a lot of that stuff you know unfortunately I think very early on, like, I think I was probably like maybe 15 years ago, there was a message that went out by someone, an accidental message that went out about leaving your tents and them going to a refugee camp. And it just like one of those myths that just 
like just spread and trying to get the message across that that's not actually what happens is really hard like once something's out there it's quite hard to get it back and so we're saying to people look you know there are a few collection points for charity which we put in the program so if you want to donate your tent you have to you know wrap it up and pack it away and take it to those places yeah um totally totally intact with everything intact yeah yeah. um but it doesn't count if you just leave it in the field oh and you know (laughs) and there's like air beds and those plastic chairs with the kind of metal legs but you know you get the kind of all-in-one tesco (laughs) package yeah um other other supermarkets are uh, also and other supermarkets (laughs) (laughs) but you know that's the problem is it's also available and so people buy kind of cheap stuff that doesn't necessarily last very long and there's a whole kind of disposable culture around it Mm. um so you bring it it lasts for a couple of days and then you just think oh i'll leave it so we're trying to tackle that but you know it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing mission yeah it's never never going to solve it okay and i mean me and me and you nick were talking uh, off off the air before we started about about family life about myself in the middle-aged uh, parent bracket but is is parenting kind of changed your stance on a lot of this stuff i mean obviously your 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 mum and dad and everyone involved in the festival kind of bred you in in that kind of you know, environmental and political, and you know, you, you guys have always had those those leanings. But is is being a parent changed changed that at all? What with the festival, you mean? Yeah, just the way that you look at the future of our planet, the yeah, future of I the UK, so. the future of hope. One hundred percent. Like just you know, thinking about the number of species that are going to be extinct within ten years. You know, and then you think about what impact that's going to have on our planet. You know insect population everything is gonna is and it's happening so quickly in front of our eyes i think you can't help but think about what we're leaving for our kids so it's kind of it is a motivating factor to kind of to use this as a platform to communicate some really fundamental ideas and just changes that you can do which will impact positively i think having children does um, we've always been slightly that way, but I think it just really hits hits home, doesn't it, when you have kids? And it's still like oh, the responsibility is so great. And what do your kids um, think about you being the uh, bosses of Glasto? They're a bit young to um, <laughs> to have got into the festival in that way yet. To, the, to them, it's all about the kids' field. Yeah, which is amazing. The kids' field is an incredible part of the festival, but it's not. Um, um, it's like obviously, you know you only discover it when you have children yeah yeah and I you know even though it's been here my whole life and I remember making badges there when I was like four years old but like now it's like next level entertainment it's incredible I mean it is a festival within a festival isn't it it's like you could literally if you had kids spend your whole time in there and probably people do totally and like you can I think it's the largest free kids festival in Europe because like when you come and you bought a ticket you don't need to pay for anything so everything in that field is just free which is amazing Tony who runs it is just incredible like you know he's just like this kind of real passionate guy who's been here for a long time but it's like always just a joy to work with people that just really care about it all so much and I think that's why we're really lucky to have so many people that care so much about those details you know so we're and like so uh, yeah, the kids' field has been a bit of a revelation. I always knew it was good, but now I'm like, Tony, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, and can you just look spent... after my kids until Monday, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their <laughs> crash facility. Yeah. That's the one thing he doesn't do. No, no. 
So um, you have to be responsible for I think for my your dad left one of our kids down there um, <laughs> a couple of years ago. And, and Tony rang and he was like, by the way, I've got, I've got one of your kids. You know, I did say to Michael as he drove off, this isn't a crash. <laughs> yeah. As he drove off waving and can't, laughing. Can't really argue with him. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, just getting on to your dad, obviously, I've interviewed him a, a bunch of times and, um, you know, he he's always strikes me as very much he's a, a, a farmer who kind of accidentally stumbled into the world of festivals, you know, in his shorts and wandering around in the snow, even in his shorts now. It's sort of, um, you know, he, his, his passion is obviously for festivals, but also for cows and dairy farms and stuff like that. Are you, are you guys kind of... Where, where do you fall on that, you know, because you've obviously got your hair on the farm but are you are we farmers are you, but yeah you business heads and you you love the, the sort of london booking acts and the glitzy bit or are you in your wellies all year round kind of um, milking cows we we go up to london a little bit but not that much but we uh no i mean i'm you know i'm kind of I'm, my life is here and I'm, i've grown up here I, I i lived in london when i was like at college i went to goldsmith and i had a few years in london with me did you go to Goldsmith? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did I know that? Um, I, I don't know. All, all good people went to Goldsmith. That's amazing. Kate Tempest, Damien Hurst, Josie. That's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my London years, but no, I don't think uh, the whole kind of backstage culture for me is not a massive... I've always avoided dressing rooms and backstages at all costs. Um, because it's not really what the show's about and also being kind of there is what the only thing that we do try to do is actually create an area which is fairly nice but like not that nice so you basically leave <laughs> so you so you get out so it's not too comfortable yeah so the idea is that backstage is like is the worst area of the whole festival. <laughs> um, and that you you go there and go oh I want to go out and then you go out and you discover what the festival is about yeah, that, so that's our kind of motivation. Because if you if you go to some European festivals or Japanese festivals I've been to, the backstage is unbelievable, isn't it? And it, you know, it's like you are treated like a you know the best royalty. VIP ever royalty, and you, and you'd never want to leave. But I I agree with that. That in a way that they gave they you know anyway oh god yeah okay yeah I mean obviously as as yeah, so as promoters we get we get asked for you know you get you get the rider don't you and you get crazy demands yeah I mean I love Grace Jones's one you know it's a bottle of. Well, three bottles of Cristal, a bottle of um, Chanel Number no. Five, um, you know, obviously still boxed, and then a dozen oysters um, you know, on a on a silver platter. And uh, brilliant. Have you had some good? Uh... Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. You know what? We hardly ever can provide the things which are on like riders. We things like Fuji water and no no, which is quite standard. A certain level of champagne. We've kind of got like a a few suggested champagne levels that, that kind of work with us rather than the kind of 250 quid bottles. Yeah. Um, it's quite a kind of earthing experience, really, and most people go along with it and they kind of go, all right, I'm going to Glassbury. I'm probably not going to get the silver plate, the silver tray, the silver service. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and as a, you know, we, you know we, we try to accommodate those, you know, some of the demands, but we can't do all of them. No. Because it's just, we're... Of our setting. No, totally. Okay, is so, you know, talking about families and stuff. Is there is there a day of your life? Do you think where you're not thinking about Glastonbury and the festival? Um, no, <laughs> I don't think so. 
we're I mean we we like live and breathe it and uh, you know what I'm most just looking forward to just having it back this year because on the year off like the fallow year we kind of do so much talking about it and so much kind of sitting and thinking about layouts and crowd management or fence signs or whatever it is and it's like to just have it back is just is great and I'm really looking forward to that and just to remind you why you do it you know because it is such a joyous experience and like when the moments the gates open that is like the best best thing in the world you know and that you get that rush of like excitement and you go this is it makes it all worthwhile although you've got so many crew on site that i'm not do you actually notice when the gates open between uh well we go and open them okay cool yeah so you literally have got a key and you're like yeah right make way emily coming through well we we (laughs) we just lift up the the bolt yeah and my dad does 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 one as well and then everyone just runs in. <laughs> yeah, stampede of people. It's always, the, I just, yeah, it's one of my favourite moments. I want the best camping pitch. Run for it. And they know where they're going, you know, a lot of people. They're yeah. like, I only camp in the Penals Hill. I only go to Dragon Hall. You know, they just know exactly. Well, they've been planning for two years this time as well. So just on, on the fallow, yeah, just for some of the listeners that maybe um, aren't familiar with, and obviously it's quite a unique thing. I'm sure there may be some other festivals, but what what is the... You know why? Why is there a fallow year at Glastonbury? Um, so we have a year off to um, to let the land rest, let the farm recover, let the village have a break. I think sometimes you just need to drop off the radar a bit. Like we're it's funny sort of situation because we're we're like we don't send press releases out. We try not to like overly hype anything, um, just because the. the you know the whole thing like goes into the kind of the what's the analogy when the thing starts rolling but it just rolls and rolls and rolls and it yeah. gains momentum and then speed and it like I feel like and we're in the centre of it and so we think that it's too much but sometimes I feel like for the public as well they just need to not hear about it for a bit and just it's disappear <laughs> and then you come back and you're like we're back it's great but it can just saturate yeah, Something. and is that set? Is it every four years, five years? Five years. Yeah, so it's always the same. But it's my dad's idea, uh, yeah. and he did it for... I'm not sure when he... In the 70s, there were, I think, only three festivals, so it was probably the 80s where they did, like, a five-year cycle. <laughs> I love that. In the 70s, there were only three festivals. God, yeah. I hope we can only go back to those days. <laughs> <laughs> but... Who, and it's quite, it's a really, really good idea and it just gives everyone a chance to switch off and... Yeah. Okay, well, let's um, let's talk, um, let's get a bit spiritual for a moment. So, I mean, ley lines, you've got Glastonbury Tour kind of looking down at you here, you've got the Stone Circle on site. Are you guys, um, you know, you, do you feel that sort of energy, whether there is actually something there or, or it's, um, you know, part of growing up here? Um I mean, I feel like it's a very special place. I probably am more into this side of it than my dad. Um, but, you know, there is something about it, 100%. Like, I, you know, you just can't deny it. Like, you, it's just got a lovely feeling about it. The valley, you can walk around that valley any time of year and it's got something that's really special about it. Um, the view of the tour, you know, through the valley is just is, is gorgeous. And um, I think the history of the whole area and the amount of poetry and songs that have been written about it. You know, it's got a, a kind of deep meaning yeah. which connects with a lot of people. 
No, um, definitely. I mean, and you can see that even on the train on the way down here. Lot, you know, lots of musicians, lots of arty-looking people that are, you know, I'm off to Glastonbury, and you know, it's, not, it's nothing to do with the festival at, yeah. at this time of year. It's you know, they're they're coming here in a sort of pilgrimage. So if I went out there now, would there be people wandering around with willow branches and? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. Amulets. I and, wouldn't write it out of the question. That's yeah. I wouldn't say no. But yeah. It's quite possible that you could find somebody. Water, you'd still get that high. <laughs> it's like there's just people on that scale together. Yeah. It's powerful. No, totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's um, hammer through a couple of um, Emily's secret places. Obviously, you don't have to reveal them because they're yeah. secrets, but um, best place to camp? Oh, God, I can't go into that. <laughs> that's like a real... Maybe say one that's not actually the best place to camp, but one that people already um, know. There are a lot... I mean, all the campsites have different completely different atmospheres and communities around them um i really like pennard hill because it's just that's a really lovely place to camp i think um it's good position quite near the greenfields and quite in the park places yeah to discover and you could come and have an entirely different experience and not see not go to any of the places i just mentioned and have an amazing time absolutely okay cool i'm gonna just gonna quickly whiz through some um some years um and just kind of talk about a couple of little things. So 1984 um, <clears throat> saw the stage invaded by children during the Smith set. Do you know about that one? Yeah. What, 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 why? Um, I think they just um, ran on. I don't think there was any security then. Well, there wasn't any, really. And at that point, the pyramid was like... I always used to think of it as like it was like a kind of big doll's house because you could kind of climb up the front and inside were just these huge telegraph poles and you could kind of swing from one section to another and it was brilliant, you know, like... <laughs> Health and safety nightmare. Yeah, not now, obviously, but yeah. at that point, so people used to just... And I think one of them said, you know, a few people come up. Like, I can't remember who and who said that, if it was Morrissey or not. But there, certainly there was a massive invasion. <laughs> OK. I'm not um, sure whether it was his best memory, I'm not. No. And that same year, uh, Elvis Costello headlined the last... And they're like, yeah, but this isn't... There's not enough trees on site, are there, picturing. when it's when it's really sunny? Everyone's under that tree just to the left of the main stage, kind of like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ...hiding. Build more trees. OK, um, 1989, 90, that's when kind of Acid House, rave culture was kind of invading the whole country a bit, um, in a good way. And... Um, so you guys, do, do you remember this? The biggest festival yet was held in 1990 and then there was a bit of a punch-up between the security and New Age Travellers, mm. Battle of Yeoman's Bridge. And you, so you, your, dad, your dad took the decision to take a few years off? Yeah, that was quite a low point. Um, there have been some quite difficult years in the past, but one of them was that year because there were the riots. So this is like, our house is just here. And... And at that point, I was just looking out the window and I must have been 10 and there was just, like, burning vehicles just everywhere and, like, people charging towards the house with these burning telegraph poles that were just, like, on fire and they were running towards me. It was quite... It was quite terrifying. So you were literally in the house and your dad was outside kind of talking to them and... He was trying to deal with them um, and they were... It was quite, sort of, quite heated. Yeah. And what was their beef, that they should be allowed on site or they should be allowed to yeah. stay? It was, uh, you know, it was a time of transition from them feeling like, I suppose, they had the right to be there and to stay there. And my dad had always looked after them. He always gave them, like, a spot and facilities and all the rest of it. But um, 
when he asked, tried to get, you know, to move them on, it was quite hard. Um, and there was a lot of um, t- terrorizing, I suppose, of at that time. And it was quite, it was quite daunting. It was quite overwhelming. I, I was. It was the first time that I've really been scared, actually, thinking. And I remember looking at my parents, going, "Why are you doing this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean?" So you were there ten. There comes a point where it's like, "Is this fun?" You know, and you weigh it up and go, "I was 10. And and I so I went. Someone in the house, because at that point our medical facility was in the house, and welfare was next to the house. So I, I just, you know, you saw everything. Um, and someone went, "Oh, Emily should go up to my granny's house, which is just at the top of the road." It was then, and so um, someone took me and dropped me up there, and because all of the traffic had to come out that way at that point, I just sat in her window and I just saw like hundreds of ambulances and fire engines just coming in like sirens. And it was, te- I was like, shit, what's going on? And so it was, it was quite a kind of low point because I think at that point, you know, my, it really, my parents made them question like, what are we, is this going to work? Yeah. Is there a future? But I suppose the thing which is hard to imagine like this far in is that for, at that point, it was just really a year by year thing. It was never seen as something that would be even here in five years. Mm. It was always like, let's just try and do it once more. And so, and and there was a bit of a, I think, a bit of a change in the mid nineties. I think then when when we kind of started, like kind of embracing, like, you know, kind of popular culture in a different way as well. Like yeah. bands, everything stepped up a level. Um, and 94 was like, you know, we had everyone from Radiohead to Blur to everyone that seemed to be like simmering away at that point was playing. And it was just like this incredible moment. And I think then it kind of changed. So um, was and was 94 not the one where the pyramid stage burnt down a week before the festival? 95 that was. Oh, OK. Yeah. So that was sad. Like, so the doll's house, the. The telegraph poles that we'd spent like years swinging on and like having our first fag on and all the rest of it was um, was my sister ran into my room at night it was like at four in the morning it was like it's the pyramid's burning I was like what and we just drove I drove down to the field with my parents and we just sat and watched it it was really sad because oh. it just fell in like the size just because because of the shape of it you just couldn't the fire service just couldn't get underneath it. And so it's the worst. There's just nothing they could do apart from just put it out, but it, they couldn't save it. So, so we just watched what had, it. What had happened? Uh, the light at the top was too bright. The same... Do you remember there was a fire in Windsor Castle? It was the same year. Yeah. There was, like, a really big fire there that caused by a light bulb, and it was the same. It was right. the same strength, like wattage or whatever, and, uh, and it melted the perspex at the top, and then it just caught on fire. Wow. So that was sad. The end of that pyramid. Well, you've got a you've got a new pyramid, and it's yeah, yeah. We've got a new one. The new one's great. New lighting engineer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can't um, we can't talk to you without obviously talking about the park. Um, so, two thousand seven. That was the first year that yep you opened the park. Um, so you're up to one hundred seventy seven thousand people by now. And so you you designed your own your own area. How did that come about? Did you did you just sit down with your dad and say? Come on, Dad, share it out. Yeah, kind of. I was just like, you know what, we should just do an area. We spend all this time talking to all the other areas about what they're doing. Like, why don't we just do an area, like me and Nick? And and um, and so and he was like, I suppose you could do. And then he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, you could try this field over here because this is empty. 
So we drove up in the middle of January to this field, and which is where the park is now. And I was like, this, this field, this is like miles away. This is about three miles away from the site. Because <laughs> at that point, there wasn't like any of that section was occupied at all. It was, that was within, that was outside of the fence line. So we changed the fence line to accommodate the park. And then um, now it's on a quite relaxed kind of place, which is, you know, which always has some lovely bands on and it's quite... It was also the connection with Mary and Joseph as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, Mary and Joseph Evis, who were the first Evises at Worthy Farm, uh, who were called Mary and Joseph. I was about to say, yeah, you, you make them up. <laughs> Did they have a baby called... So... <laughs> <laughs> they had a little baby uh, called... I don't know why... William. Anyway, so um, my dad's, yeah, great-great-grandparents, they uh, turned up at that farm so the park was called Park Farm and there was a little farm there and before they came to Worthy Farm they ended up there so my dad sort of told us the story still on the hill and we were like yeah this could work yeah. and then we um, created the park and now it's lovely the park yeah do you, do you get up to the park yeah yeah I've DJed there hung out there often um yeah, I mean, this yeah, is Rob DeBank's A to Z of festivals. I mean, and subscribe the, now and you know, please remember to rate. Are there new new plans for new areas this year? Yeah, not um, not so much like new areas, but like new kind of extensions or like new. Obviously, new... I've travelled a long way. To oh, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. No, I was going to. You bringing back the magic show? Um, yeah, and puppet, puppets. Puppets. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do a new for 2019. Um. Uh, an extinct uh, puppet procession an extinct puppet procession so it's going to be it's essentially like animals that are going to be extinct in puppet form if we're not careful and a procession wow yeah yeah well on that um, bombshell then uh, I will thank you so much Emily and Nick and Michael and everyone in this uh, this is my happy place so it's so so nice for you to share it even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.